We're at the end, end of chapter 9 in uh, Romans today, and we'll finish this uh, section off, jumping to chapter 10, and uh, there's a little continuation between 9 and 10. Let's pray. Lord God, as we join together, uh, we come as just human beings who look around at this world and shake our head at all the things that are going on, and yet uh, Johannes asked me this morning, is it the end? Nope. There's harder stuff to come. Much. Lord, uh, there's only one plan that works, and that's when we come underneath your promises. We know the Bible well enough that we know your promises. We know the enemy well enough that we're able to pray for boundaries. Lord, we live in a way in our marriages and homes in our extended families that we're letting you fight the fight. Lord God, as we uh, come to this part of Romans today, there's a fight, there's a battle. It's going on for souls. And Lord, uh, help us feel it because we need to. We need to feel it in our, in our own community and in our own families. Lord, uh, be with us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. I'm going to start with this word this morning, and the word is conviction. When you read Romans chapter 9, conviction is at the heart of it. And um, I, my theory is there seems to be just moments of time in people's lives when you get really convicted of something. When, when God takes hold of you in such a way that it's not another sermon, it's not another podcast, it's not another Bible study, it's conviction. And conviction doesn't happen every day. It doesn't happen all the time. But there are moments in our life, right, where God kind of reaches into you and for whatever reason you hear something and you go, oh, wait a minute, I need to change something. Something's got to give in my life. Or, you know what, that habit or that addiction has held on to me for so long, I'm putting a stake in the ground. Today, it changes, right? Um, or you, you, um, when a man, and this, this is significant to me, when a man says, wait a minute, my, my family, my family, I, I don't know what's going to happen in other families, but my family, we're going to, we're going we're gonna, to, we're going to be part of, of the church. We're going to come. We're not going to play around with games. This is real stuff, and it's going to be part of our lives. That's conviction. And uh, what, what strikes me as you begin reading Romans chapter 9 is it starts with this conviction on Paul's part that I've got these, these people that I'm kin with, right? And uh, they're, they're fellow Jews. I grew up with them. We went to... You know, we went to, to school together. We studied scriptures together. We've looked at the prophecies together. Um, I love them. I love them. But they don't know Jesus. And they're not different than me. I mean, part of Paul's conviction is he, he, got, he got convicted in, in a way that very few ever have, knocked to the ground on the road to Damascus. And God says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? But that's where conviction comes from, is when I hear that. Luke, why are you persecuting me? I'm not per Yes, I am. Conviction. He has that. And so he's looking at his fellow Jews. He says, well, I, I was there. I was, I was persecuting Jesus. 
I want you to know Jesus. My goodness gracious, we're, we're the Jews. We've got the law. We've got, we've got the, the prophets. We've got everything we need to just get the dots connected, but I can't seem to get them connected. And so chapter 9 begins with that, that sense of God. I, I, I'm praying that those who, who were like I was can come to know you the way I know you today. Now, there's two chairs um, chair number one, Paul, Paul recognizes that God has given him what he needs to bring about conviction on the part of other people. Uh, this Greek word that I've got in front of you is the word dunamis. Uh, you would say it maybe this way in English, dynamite, right? If I lit a stick of dynamite, um, Abraham, and I handed it to you right now, like, what would you do with it? Just give it to Dennis over there. It's like, here you go, brother. <laughs> I saw you didn't have one of these. It wouldn't be a good thing, right? Why? It can blow you up, right? Paul, think about this. Paul has no, no money, no, no church organization, no building, no nothing. But he says, I got dynamite. I've got the word of God. And here's what I know. It has the power to create faith. Uh, there's no greater, no greater power on earth. You, you can split an atom and cause an atomic explosion. No power greater than the power of the word of God to create faith. And that's chair number one. So Paul says, I know that God has, from the very beginning, set apart some as, a, as his own. I don't know who those people are, but I know this. I've got the power, the, the dynamite of God, to go into Rome, to go into Athens, to go into Galatia, to go into Philippi, to go into all these Roman cities that are powerful cities, but they don't have the power. And I'm going to take this gospel out, and I'm going to believe that God is going to create faith. But there's also another power that people have, you have. If I said to you, what is the, the single greatest power that you have in your life today? What's the single greatest power? So somebody says, well, um, I, can, I can bench press 400 pounds. Well, that's powerful. That's pretty good. Somebody goes, yes, but with a, with a signature, I can, I can sign a bill and sign something into law. Ooh, that's, that's, that's kind of power. Somebody says, oh, talking about bills, I have billions of them, and I can buy whatever I want. That's power. It's not the greatest power. The greatest power that you have, that any human being has, is the power. This is the second chair. To say no to God. To reject him. Think about that. Here's God. God can do anything he wills, right? Yes. But he's given to you the power. He gave you the power to actually say, I don't want it. I don't want your gospel. I don't want you. I don't want a relationship with you. And so Paul's living under this conviction. He understands Dynamis power, the power of the gospel to change lives. But he also understands this second chair, the power of human beings to reject the promise that God has given to people. And so he's, he's heavy. He's just burdened by this sense that I have all these people I grew up with, I love, they're part of my extended family, the Jews, and they've re they're rejecting God. They're rejecting God. And um, here at the end of chapter 9, he, he asks Isaiah, the old prophet, 
to kind of speak into this rejection on the part of the Jews, and Isaiah does. If you go to verse 27, it says, Isaiah cries out concerning Israel. Remember the very first words of chapter 9 were what? Paul cries out. I, Paul, am crying out. Remember, remember the wolf howl? Right? Um, I'm like, I'm like that, 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 that creature that's separated from someone that he, someone that he loves. And I'm, oh, oh, it hurts. Right? I, I, one, one thing I'm always going to take with, with me, no matter what, here living in Nebraska I know that I know that animal sciences are animal science and it's science and it's a business and I get all of that. But I to this day still will remember the first time I'm listening to these little calves that have been separated from their mamas. I mean you can hear it, right? That's that's the that's what's happening here. So that's how chapter nine starts. I'm crying for those who don't know you. Verse 27, Isaiah is crying for Israel. Why? Listen to this. Though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea. That was God's promise. God said, Abraham, look, at the, look up at the sky. Look at the grains of sand. This is the number of your sons that I will make into Israel. Though the number of sons of Israel be as the sands of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. Only a few. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. He's doing it right now. He's carrying out his sentence upon the earth without delay. Isaiah spoke those words thousands of years ago. And what Paul recognizes is in the present moment, God is carrying out his sentence upon the earth. He says, as Isaiah predicted prophesied, quote, this is from Isaiah 10, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. So what is he saying? He's saying, here's what's happening. When you look at Israel and you go, well, what happened to Israel? Why is there so much unbelief in Israel today? Where did that come from? Well, it goes all the way back to Paul's time. And it goes to that chair right there. They're, they had the power, Israel has the power, to reject the promises of God to the degree that it took God doing this. I'm going to reserve a small group of people. That's my remnant. That's church. That's who I work through. Verse 30 says, so what should we say? That the Gentiles, this is really interesting, that the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness by faith. But that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Okay. It's, it's a paradox. It's a question that was being asked of Paul wherever he went. So what are you saying? Are you saying that these, these Gentiles are being saved? Yeah, I am. And you're saying that the Jews are being condemned? Yes, I am. How can that be? The Jews are the called people. No, Israel are the called people. And what is Israel? All of those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ unto salvation. 
here's the difference. If I try to attain salvation, righteousness, rightness with God, if I try to attain it by fulfilling the law, I fail. I'll not be able to get it. Only through faith. That Jesus Christ, you attained, you attained that perfection for me. Verse 32. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. But as if it were based on works. One of my favorite sayings. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. This is from Isaiah 28. Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. This is kind of interesting that uh, that, that language is used, again, throughout the Old Testament and into the New Testament. You have stumbled over the stone. You know, people are still stumbling over that stone today. It's Jesus. It's what we stumble over him. Who is he? Who do you believe that he is? Okay. Um, when I'm talking to people, that's one of my favorite. I mean, that's one of the most significant questions you can ask another human being is, hey, have you heard of Jesus? Yeah. Great. So who was he? Well, he was a, a good man. Okay. That's it? What do you mean by good? Uh, well, he, he, he showed people how to live right. Oh, what would Jesus do? Uh, that's great. That's good. That's it? Well, yeah, but he was a good teacher. He taught things. What did he teach? Well, I don't know. Good things. I'm like, have you ever read his teachings? Not, not really. Would you like to read some of them? Because, because they're important teachings. I mean, one of them might be that, hey, I'm God. <laughs> right? Uh, so it would be, be helpful just to actually read these teachings. So people continue to this day, we stumble over Jesus. What's fascinating to me is we live in a culture right now who people would say, we love Jesus. We do. We love Jesus. He's a great guy. But they don't know him as, as Savior. And so we continue to stumble. And that's how chapter 9 ends, really, is there's a stone of offense. And I would go so far as to say, look, that's, that is right. Um, what you bring out in the world is meant to be offensive. Luke, you're offensive. Yes, I am. That's my goal in life. I want to be as offensive as I possibly can because I want to challenge people. And you know what? When you're not offensive, when you try to bend over and make people feel good and, hey, we got we, we don't want to, I don't want to offend you. I, I, don't, I want you to feel good. No, I don't want you to feel good. All right? Um, I, I, to this day, the, the council, you have to talk to Linda about it, uh, they continue to deny my request to put out on our sign, you know, that little sign we got out in front of the church that kind of goes like this. It's a happy sign. I want to, I want to put the words, welcome to Peace Lutheran Church. Uh, we would like to kill you. Now, I don't know why you wouldn't, uh, what's wrong with that, right? Um, but it's, it's actually true. It's actually very, very true. What are, you, what are you talking about? You want to, well, because our, our old man has to get put to death before we can rise up a new man, right? It has to get put to death before I can rise up a new man. What does the Word of God do? It kills you. It's offensive. It's meant to be offensive. No wonder, yes, we stumble over it. Because our old man says what? You can't tell me what to do. I'm God. You can't tell me what to think. I'm, I'm God. You can't tell me that I'm in char not in charge of my body. This is my body. I can do what I want to with my body. Yes, you can. 
But listen to me. You can at your own peril. Because here's, here's an offensive thing. God owns your body, not you. God created your body, created your soul. You have a soul, whether you want to acknowledge it or not. But here's the deal is, when, when this body dies, your soul will either be in heaven with God or it'll be in hell. And hell is real. That's offensive. Huh? Why? You can't say it. Don't, tell, don't be telling. I'm going to tell people that. Why? Because that is the message of the Bible. Yes, it is offensive and it's meant to be offensive because God's taking us out into a world that needs to be what? Addressed with the truth. Addressed with the truth. And how has it become possible that we live in a culture today that says we don't want to hear truth? You can, you, you, you're, we'll put up with anyone. We're tolerant of everyone except the person that's going to tell the truth. Now we're not going to be tolerant of that, of that person. I'm like, okay, fine. But we're coming with an offensive word that is meant to put your old Adam to death. And that's how Paul ends chapter 9. Jews, guess what? This is offensive. Yes, it is. I'm telling you, you can't earn your salvation. That's offensive. Yes, it is. It's meant to be. Because you have to be put to death before you can be brought back to life. Chapter 10 kind of just jumps right into and continues this line of thinking. Um, brother, let's jump right into it with me. Brother, my heart's desire, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them, to the, for the Jews, is that they may be saved. Right? I'm willing to be offensive if it means you're going to be saved. I'm willing to get into conversations with people that are uncomfortable. I, I look forward to it if it means they're going to be saved. I'm, I'm willing to, to raise up issues for people that are offensive if it means they can be saved. Right? He says... Um, for I bear witness, this is, this is good, for I bear witness of them that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Okay, now the, the, the term knowledge used here, remember there's two words for knowledge in the Greek language. We tend to think of knowledge this way, right? I, I know something. Well, oidos uh, is this kind of knowledge. I can know a lot. But there's a kind of knowing, and the term is gnosis. And gnosis refers to I know God, right? There's something deeper than head knowledge. And what he's, the, the term he's using here is uh, that second term. He's saying they have a zeal, but not, not according to knowledge. Their zeal doesn't flow out of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Their zeal flows out of a desire to prove to God that I'm good. That I'm right. Now, I kind of circled this word and put it up here because um, I stopped in my tracks. And, and this is one of those words that does, does this to me. I stopped at my tracks this week when I was reading back through this section, thinking about today. I thought, you know what? I don't want to just throw that word out there and not stop because it really is a big deal. Zeal. What does zeal look like? What does zeal look like? Um, my, my grandkids are zealous kids about certain things, particularly if they want me to buy it. <laughs> they, get, they can get pretty zealous. Papa, can we get one of those pink drinks from Starbucks? 
I'm like, man, you guys need to be on a television ad. By the time they're done with you, they've convinced you that that pink drink is like the best thing in the entire world. I'm like, you guys are like, you're like Starbucks evangelists. That's what you guys have become. Um, all of us are zealous about something or someone. And, uh, and yet, if you asked me today, okay, Luke, look at, the, look at the church today. Look at the Christian church. What is missing in the church today? Well, I wouldn't say buildings. We got plenty of those. I wouldn't say hymnals. Ours are hidden right now, but we've got plenty of those. Okay. Yeah. 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 We need. We needed them today. Uh, somebody might say, "Well, what, what? What's missing in this zeal?" In fact, when I stop and think about it, the most zealous people I've met from a spiritual perspective. Uh, you guys ever meet up with Jehovah's Witnesses? Are they zealous? They are, right? So much so that, that what, what they will do, they'll say, you know what, it's Saturday, great. That's the day I'm going to go out and I'm going to knock on doors. I want to tell people about God. And so <clears throat> it's not uncommon, even in, in Grand Island here, to have Joe's witnesses coming knocking on our doors and saying, hey, do you have a few minutes? Um, they'll typically at my door, they'll say, hey, I've got a, a scripture. Can I read a scripture with you today? And I'll say, sure, you can read a scripture with me. We read the scripture. But I, one thing that I will say about a Jehovah's Witness is, is they, they are zealous, same thing as the Jew, without knowing. They don't have a knowledge of Jesus Christ. But they're zealous, right? The Mormons are zealous. Amen? They're zealous. Uh, if we were to take a trip into Central America today, Latin America today, uh, you would be shocked because you, you probably have an idea in your head. Well, this is Central America. It's kind of kind of a third. No, it's not. It's 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 developed. And you what you would find is you would find that the Mormons come in and their strategy is we're going to build the very best, most inviting place that that you can possibly build in this area, and we're going to invite people in, come in, and we're going to take care of them. They do it, and then um, Jehovah's Witnesses. They come in, very, very active. Uh, LCMS, we're pulling missionaries out of, out of places, particularly if they're women. And I'm like, what would you do realize that these other church bites were putting people out into the mission field? What's going on? We need, we need to get people into the mission field. In America today, are we surrounded by a mission field? Absolutely we're surrounded by a mission field. How many missionaries are we sending out into America today? I mean, as a church body. Well, the pastor's a missionary. I'm like, not, not really. I've met a lot of pastors who not a missionary. Um, so there's a business that, in my mind, I think, okay, where, where is it in the church today? Here's why I'm, here's why I'm torqued off, which I actually am kind of torqued off. I, I mean, just following things, you get, to, you get to this whole coronavirus thing, and it comes in, you know, everybody's doing their... Coronavirus, we got to close everything down. Good, I understand that. I understand the science and all that stuff. Um, got to close the church down. And, and I mean, you go back six months ago, and here's what, you, here's what you're hearing. People are like, you know what? You can't close the church down. We, we got our TVs. We're going to put, we're going to put, uh, we're going to put Pastor Mike up on the TV. We're going to get him on the TV. We're, we're going to get Carl on the TV. And uh, we're going to watch this stuff. Today, six months later, here's what it, here's what it feels a little bit like. Mm. Yeah, we'll try. We're going to try to get to church. Uh, I mean, we're not going to church, but we'll try to watch it when we can. 
Yeah, we were going to watch it last week, but uh, did you have it last week? Yeah, we had it last week. Well, we missed it last week. The week before, were you guys still? Yep, we were there. Yeah, we're, we're going to try to get there. It's no zeal. Now, here's the interesting thing. should be. Because zeal is not something. When zeal is self-created, that's why I put this question up here, but what is it born of? When zeal is self-created, or it's for the purpose of proving to God, hey, God, look at me. Look at how great I am. Uh, it, it, it becomes what? Man-focused. And it ends up becoming empty. It's emptiness. Um, of all the people on earth that should actually have zeal, it should be the Church of Jesus Christ. And I would maintain it is. It's the remnant. Inside of the church today, there's a remnant of people that are very, very committed. How am I going to? Especially during this time, when the world's turned upside down and people don't know what to hang on to, how am I going to engage in helping connect people to the most powerful thing in the world? Dynamite can change lives. And um, as much as we've seen on, on television, uh, young people who who are who are very zealous for political right for political reasons. Here's here's something I'm pushing for. Here's one of the things that I celebrate. Do you see Johannes up here, young man? All right. Um, I celebrate our youth that are on fire for Jesus Christ right now. That are saying, hey, you know what? I want to invite you to come and you if. On a TV or an iPad, let's watch it together and let's talk about who Jesus Christ is. We're going to gather together. We'll do it safely, but we're going to gather together and we're going to talk about the Bible. Will you come and talk about the Bible? There, there's an on fire movement going on in America right now amongst young people. And I'm like, thank you, Jesus. Where's the remnant? And so for the church, zeal becomes zeal not because it's born out of our desire to prove to God anything. It's born out of the gospel. I don't have to do it. It's born out of the gospel. I can't wait to do it. I cannot wait to go out and meet another person who doesn't know Jesus Christ and to be able to sit down and say, hey, let's have some coffee. I'd love to offend you. And uh, I don't say it quite like that, but that's the intention is we're going to have some conversations and they're going to get heated because you know what? I'm personally, I'm sick of talking about the big 10 and whether we're going to have football and whether or not, we're, you know, when is the virus thing going to be disappear or is it going to disappear? We're going to get a vaccine for listen. We don't, that's it. We're going to talk about that. How about during this time frame? as things have been turned upside down. What have you found to hold on to? Has prayer been one of those things? Does God really hear our prayer? I can try, just try this. Walk into a sauna. Sit down. Give yourself 10-15 minutes. It'll fill up with people. You be the person sitting in the sauna that says, you know what I think I'd like to do today? Offend everyone in this room. Because everybody in that sauna, I can tell you exactly what happens. Have you guys been in one of these things? Some of you are looking at me like, get a sauna. Luke, that, just walk outside. It is, it is a sauna, right? <laughs> I don't care where you go. I really don't care where you go. Go, go walk into a, just a, a sitting area where, where there's humans. Just sit down with people. 
Watch what happens. Just listen to it. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. Hey, I'm doing fine. Yeah. That sure is hot outside. Oh, it's really hot outside. Yeah, it's, I hope it gets cool soon. It'll be snowing before too long. Too bad about the big red. Yep. You be the person that says, I, I can't wait. I'm going to offend everyone in this room. You go, hey, I got a question for you guys. Nobody in the room even knows you. They don't need to know you. You just say, I got a question for you guys. This has been a tough time for me. I mean, it's been hard. Have you guys found anything to hang on to during this really tough time? What do you hold on to? What gets you through it? Has prayer been one of those things? Have you been praying? I have. Does, is there anyone that even hears our prayer? Do you think God hears our prayer? Have that conversation. And uh, I guarantee you, though the world tells you that people don't want to talk about Jesus Christ, listen to me, the world is starving to hear about Jesus Christ. Will you meet up with some people that are like, just get away from me? Sure, of course. But Paul is the guy who says, this is my heart's desire. I see the Jews, they're zealous. They got that. But it's not born of the right thing. It's not born of a knowledge of Jesus Christ. It does not come out of a, an intimate ongoing relationship with him. It comes out of some desire to prove themselves worthy of, of heaven. That, that zeal doesn't work. But as much zeal as the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons uh, and my grandkids have for pink drinks, we ought to have that thing inside of us and do not hesitate to go out and be offensive. Try it this week. Be offensive. And uh, watch what God does with that. Because, again, if somebody asked me today, hey, what's missing in the church? I'd say, zeal. It's, I, I don't see it. And um, I think we absolutely need it. Go to verse 3. He says, here's the problem. Being ignorant of the righteousness of God, ignorant of it, they are ignorant of it, and seeking to establish their own, their own righteousness, they did not submit to God's righteousness. There's that battle. They did not submit to God's righteousness. That's that war. I don't want to submit to God's righteousness. My old man does not want to submit to God. I want to be God. You don't tell me what to do. You don't tell me. God, tell me what to do. God, show me where to go. God, tell me how to live. God, call it like you see it. God, God, remind me when I'm wrong. That's submission. Where does that come out of? It's that collision that happens through, through the word of God. Verse 4 says, for Christ, for Christ is the end of the law, for righteousness to everyone who believes. Don't, don't mix this up, by the way. When I say Christ is the end of the law, does it mean that the law is no longer useful to me? Like Luther one time said something like this. See if you agree with Luther. You're Lutheran, so see if you agree with Luther. Luther one time said, the Ten Commandments were for the Jews. What? Weren't they for us? They're for the Jews. Well, I, Luther, wait, wait a minute. Aren't the Ten Commandments for us? Christ is the end of the law. 
What are you talking about? Is the end of the law? You're saying that it's no longer useful force, like it ascended. It's no longer. No, the word "end" in Greek is significant. It's the term "telos." Telos. Now, here's what I want you to hear. That word may or may not be familiar to you, but it's very, very familiar to me. Here's why. I hear it every Good Friday. Every Good Friday. When Jesus is on the cross to breathe his last, what are his last words? In English, we say what? It is finished. Not in Greek. In Greek, you say it this way. Te telestai. Telos. Te telestai. The first te, te, means it's perfect. It's a perfect tense. It means that what he's getting, what he's getting done on the cross in that minute, in that moment, will have significance forever. Te telostai. I am putting it to an end. So it is finished. Here's, here's a really good translation of that. I'm putting it to an end. What's the it? The law. I'm fulfilling it. I've completed it. I've done everything necessary to earn and win righteousness for those who trust and have faith in me. I paid it all. There is no more debt. I have purchased back from the devil those who will trust in me for their salvation. What does it mean when Paul says Christ is the end of the law? He's not saying that the ten are not useful to us. They are useful. They're, they're God's will, right? Every one of them. Um, he's not saying that Levitical law is useless for us. Actually, I encourage the study of the Levitical law. Um, there's some great stuff in there that you, you can grow through. But what he's saying is that's done. It's now paid for. It's completed for you in such a way that I have one righteousness for you. You can't complete it. I completed it on your behalf. So um, when, I, when, we, when we talk about um, various parts of the law and bring them into Christianity today, we always do so under the umbrella of the gospel. I'll use just a, a simple example of that. Somebody says, well, tithing, that's, that's Old Testament. That's Malachi. That's that's the way of life that God set set up for for His people, Israel, in that period of time. But that that law that's that's been completed. Tithing is completed. I say, oh, by all means, certainly it is. I say, let's come over here and read the New Gospel. Let's read the New Testament. Because how did Jesus address things like that? He would say things like this: You've heard that it said that you shall not murder. I shall say unto you that if you look with hatred upon another brother, you have committed murder. Holy cow. I think I'm a murderer. Yeah, you are. You've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. But I say unto you that if you look at a woman with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery. Who can do this? No one. Only one. Jesus Christ. But you see what he did with the law? He's trying to help us understand tithing. Tithing. Oh, I don't have to do that anymore. Nope. Nope. You don't have to tithe anymore. I would say unto thee. You figure it out. 
Because it's not about a law. Under the gospel, tithing is about what? I, I couldn't give away enough. Right? I couldn't. To give thanks for what God has done in my life. And so, here he is speaking to the, to the, to the Jews and now to the Roman church saying, who are we? We are a people called out to be zealous for the gospel of Jesus Christ, this power that changes lives, that puts to death that old Adam, that sets us free from the law and instead creates within us this zeal, this desire to see others come to know who Jesus Christ is through not what I do, but through what he has done. He completed it for me. We're just going to take this next verse and, and then start to close up. Verse 5 says, For Moses, Moses, he writes about the righteousness that's based upon the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. Meaning what? The one who does the commandments shall have eternal life through them. The one who does the commandments shall have eternal life through Can I have eternal life by doing the commandments? We all say, no. Yes, you can. Here's the problem. You can't do them. <laughs> and so that's, that's, the, that's the differentiator. Okay. But, verse 6, the righteousness based upon faith says, do not say in your heart who's going to go up to heaven and bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss to just try to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you don't have that, that scripture, by the way, in your own Bible, just underlined or on your phones or iPads, highlight it. I'd encourage you to do that because it's, it's one of those, those just take hold of scriptures. And it puts these two things together, heart and mouth, heart and mouth. James does it a little bit differently. James says heart and hands, heart and hands. In other words, James says what's in your heart will be shown through your works. Faith without works is dead. That's James, right? Here's, here's Paul. Faith, heart, in your heart, without mouth, without confession. I, am, I have no shame in confessing Jesus Christ as my own. It, it's dead. Heart and mouth. There is life because with the heart, verse 10, I believe and I'm justified. But with my mouth, I confess and I am saved. We're going to stop there. We'll uh, pray and head on into the rest of the day. Lord, as we uh, close out this morning, I guess my biggest prayer for, for the church is a prayer for zeal, uh, a, a zealousness and, and a, a boldness to be offensive, to come into this world in a way that does not simply allow foolish talk to rule the day, but that actually, Lord, brings your gospel into play in our, in our families and in our neighborhoods, and in our gyms, and where we shop, and where we play. Because, Lord, today, above all days, of all times, such is needed. Lord, give your church zealousness. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you guys for coming.